0: I'm Joshua Kagey from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 45 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, The Rev. Dr. Greg Mamala, Associate Executive Minister of the American Baptist Churches of Nebraska and author of Table Life, An Invitation to Everyday Discipleship, joins Christian Citizen Editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas for a conversation about his book and ministry in times of crisis. And we conclude today's episode with a reading by the Rev. Lauren Lisa Ng of her poem, The Game Board, Second Generation Chinese American, Female Edition. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with Reverend Dr. Greg Mamala.
1: Greg Mamala is Associate Executive Minister of American Baptist Churches of Nebraska and a regular contributor to The Christian Citizen. He has a chapter in In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis, published in late 2020 by Judson Press, and a new book also published by Judson Press titled Table Life, An Invitation to Everyday Discipleship. We're going to talk about both today, but first, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you.
2: Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you.
1: So before we talk about your recent writing projects, tell me a little bit about your work with ABC of Nebraska. What does an associate executive minister do? What's a typical day look like for you? if there is such a thing yeah a that's, that's day. the
2: thing right this i'm not sure there is a typical day in, in region <laughs> ministry uh you know like 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 many region staff people in american baptist life we partner with the churches who are american baptists within the state of nebraska that's our region of course we know that within abc there's many different region sizes and shapes from cities to uh, states to multiple states so <clears throat> um but we we partner with 65 american baptist churches in nebraska but we also have um various kachin congregations that are connected to us from texas and florida and south carolina we even have a latino congregation that's uh, partnering with us from yankton south dakota so uh we're you know we're we're nebraska for sure that's our primary emphasis but we are starting to kind of broaden uh some of our network there Uh, i i do a lot of uh Training for congregations is kind of my focus. I do continuing education for pastors. So we organize pastor conferences and retreats, bring in speakers, sometimes serve as speaker for for those type of trainings. Um, the, Uh, Department of Professional Ministry, so we walk people through the ordination process, uh, do any kind of clergy misconduct, but gratefully, uh, we have pretty well-behaving pastors, and that's not usually an issue for us. Um, But then we also do pastoral search and placement, so congregation um, needs help identifying pastors. We go through ministry life, the old ABBS system, and then um, also other networks that we have with seminaries and colleges and try to find good matches for pastors and congregations. And uh, Baptist history, polity, and identity is kind of one of the things that I put a lot of focus and energy on here is, is my role. And so those are some of the things, but those are some of my favorite things that I get to do. And then, of course, there's the inevitable conflict transformation and mediation. Um, it's It's part of what we do. And, um, you know, I I feel like when we enter those spaces, it's really a a time for transition and change and growth for a church. And so they don't always end badly, you know, just because you're having conflict doesn't mean it's a bad thing. So, um, yeah, those are some of the things we do.
1: And you've done some writing around uh, the conflict transformation piece as well, right?
2: Yeah, I uh, when I was a, a demon student at, at Northern Seminary, um, past, uh, our professor, Dr. Scott McKnight, uh, asked us all to write about Paul in conflict in the New Testament for one of our classes. And so every student in the class was partnered with another student, and uh, we all wrote chapters, basically. Um, and then he was kind enough to ask me to serve as editor uh, alongside of him for that book because— um, I had done so much conflict transformation and training uh, with my work, and so got to read everybody's papers, make suggestions. And we tried to build some connections between what Paul was doing in the New Testament with the various churches that he partnered with and modern conflict mediation uh, uh, techniques and authors and see kind of where Paul matched on some of those modern things and, and where he was very different because of his culture and his context, and then kind of leave those options to the reader to say, all right, what do I need to take from both of those worlds to deal with maybe a conflict in my local church or, or region or whatever?
1: So let's talk a little bit about your uh, chapter in In This Together. Yeah. Um, in This Together is a collection of essays that uh, answers a series of questions about things we're learning during the pandemic which we might apply to other crises we're facing and your essay explores the question what is this time doing to us tell me a little bit about what was going on with you uh just before the pandemic hit and how that informed what you were writing
2: yeah so um i I was doing something very heroic. There were a bunch of dragons around town and I had to defend my city. No, um, I actually said that when I was in the hospital. (laughs) nurse did not think it was funny. Um, I was playing basketball with my son and some of his friends. And like I had done a thousand times before, jumped up to do a layup and tore my meniscus in two places and my acl and it was very painful (laughs) so um just a normal day turned into a very painful evening um and so i had to have knee surgery uh that happened in january and i I um, couldn't go to work. I couldn't drive. And so I was trying to do stuff for home. I mean, you have that normal post-surgery recovery period, but for some reason, mine was taking just a little bit longer. And they told me I couldn't drive or anything for six weeks. And I was meeting with my spiritual director, um, Jeff Savage, American Baptist, and uh, Pastor Emeritus of First Baptist Church in Springfield, Oregon. And he and I have been really working through at that point, like, I I like to be busy, I like to do things. And um, one of my maybe temptations is to, to validate myself by being busy by the things I accomplish. And he was saying, well, you don't get to do anything for a while. Um, maybe it's not, and then I and then I thought, well, I could write, I could do a bunch of stuff, I can start a new project, I can do anything with a laptop. And, and he said, maybe it's not what you do at this time; it's what this time is doing to you. And uh, it gave me pause and, and then I was f- kind of frustrated with him because <laughs> I didn't, didn't know what to do with that advice at first. And, um, but then I sat with it for a couple of days and I, and I thought, okay, yeah, that's true. What is this time doing to me? How's it shaping me? Um, what am I learning about myself? And I, and I realized, and, and that's kind of how I worked through some of that is I, I do tend to validate myself by, by accomplishments and work and being busy and, um, and, and by not being able to do anything for a while, it helped me slow down and, and kind of observe that in myself. And then uh, immediately after that, uh, I I was back at work for like a whole week before we shut down for the pandemic, which was about a year ago this week. Um, and and that kind of became a thing that we were all reflecting on, you know, Um we we couldn't go to our churches. We couldn't go shopping like we were used to doing. We couldn't go to sporting events. And so it became, I began to ask people some of that little nugget of insight that I got from my spiritual director um, to our churches and pastors, you know, yeah, we need to make some adjustments in the local church. We need to make some adjustments to how we present stuff on social media platforms. Uh, But maybe this is a time to reflect about where the church is. And say, what is this time doing to us, and and how can we come out of this um, more faithful to where the Spirit is leading us? And so that's kind of what the article is about.
1: You talk in the uh, in the article about uh, times of crisis um, giving us an opportunity uh, or space to ask um, hard questions. What questions have you been wrestling with, or do you think the churches in Nebraska need to be wrestling with in the times we're in now?
2: Yeah, I mean, some of it are things that are pretty clearly on the news and, and, and big things, you know, dealing with social injustices, racial inequalities, um, women leadership, women in ministry, these sort of things. Um, some of these things I felt like I had a some kind of a grip on before uh, this came to a fore. But I think the biggest one for me is has been the difference between consuming religious content and participating in Christian community. Um, I've talked a lot about this lately, and it's—I I, don't—I don't think this is a new thing. I think it's just a platform shift. You know, you used to always be able to go to church on Sunday, take in a good sermon, uh, participate in Sunday school class, listen to some praise music, maybe learn about a missionary. But then you'd still not participate in anything christ-like maybe the rest of the week right and and so now the the temptation is to just listen to a sermon or a podcast at my convenience listen to my favorite worship playlist while i go for a walk Um, but that doesn't make me part of a community that's a consumer of religious content so I think that's one of the things our churches are dealing with because they're producing a lot of new content. Uh, and, and so they're trying to figure out, okay, I might put a bunch of stuff online, but that's not the same as keeping my people engaged with one another. That's not the same as helping them grow in their faith and apply it to where they're working and to their family, to isolation. Um, the, the other thing I think is this, this idea of lament is important. Um, we need to acknowledge the wrongs that we're participants in. Rather it's on a personal, interpersonal level or a systemic level and and lament and confess. Um, but you can't stay there forever. There, there there is a process of dismantling. If you use like the metaphor of a wall, um, like Jerusalem's wall, right? It's, it's a big part of the Ezra Nehemiah needs to be rebuilt. Um, they took old pieces of that wall and put it back in place and then added new rock and fill and and stuff. And I think that's what happens to us when we have these opportunities is that there are some things that need to be dismantled, taken down. um, But you can't just leave it there. You can't just leave rubble. At some point, you have to start the rebuilding. And um, I think as we're moving forward um, in the next year or two, we're going to have to start rebuilding some stuff. You know, we've identified a lot of things we need to work on. Maybe we've taken some stuff apart, but I think we're going to start moving into a stage where we start building fresh and new and, and maybe stronger and better and, and hopefully more Christ like for sure.
1: So, one new thing is your, your new book, Table Life An Invitation to Everyday Discipleship. Um, what prompted you to write this book?
2: Actually, it, part of it was I was going through my demon process from 2000. Um, to 2018 and as I mentioned earlier a lot of the work I do is conflict mediation and and transformation with the region and at that season when I first started my work we were really working through several different conflicts at um at different levels and for 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 different types of of issues so they were all kind of unique and I, I began to ask the question um How how do we get to a place where uh, in our very polite Midwestern sort of way, (laughs) don't sweep things under the rug so long that we then 25 years later erupt on each other over stuff that's happened in the last two decades. Right. So I was thinking, how do you create a healthier community so that you work through the small things Uh, as you go so that they don't build up and to be this huge like straw that broke the camel's back situation and everybody dredges up two decades worth of stuff. And so when I started my demon work, I, I, I wanted to focus on healthy congregations, healthy communities. And then it became the question of how do you do that? And part of the classes and the readings, I uh, got to read some pretty cool stuff about um, Paul's use of siblingship as a metaphor in the New Testament for the local church. So 214 times, I think he uses uh, the expression brothers and sisters in Christ to describe the gathered community called the church, which is a lot more than even the body of Christ, which only appears four times, or even the word ecclesia, which only appears you know, 60 something times in the new Testament. So why that metaphor? And as you do your studies, you start to learn that, um, it was a primary metaphor for, for family. It was also a primary metaphor of like the most important relationship in the first century was brothers and sisters. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, so then I said, all right, if that's a primary metaphor, how do Jews and Gentiles slave and free men and women, uh, come to a place where all are equal in Christ and consider each other brothers and sisters. And then meals became a huge avenue of that in the New Testament. People ate together. And so that was kind of the academic theological side. And so then I worked through that process and needed a, a, a project to, to do the demon and so I partnered with Sunset Hills Baptist Church in Omaha, and we put together this thing that at the time we were calling Welcome to the Family Table and created small groups where people would read scripture together. They would dwell in the word together. They would tell their stories and listen to the stories of others. And, and that's where this, that siblingship relationship would have been uh, created. And then they take communion together because Jesus gathered around the table with people. So that kind of became the model. And then um, it had such a positive impact on the church. I shared it with other churches in our region and has had positive impacts in those churches. And I thought, well, maybe this is something. Maybe we should share it with somebody. And so I sat down. I had a sabbatical uh, in 2018 and I wrote my first draft of Table Life rooted in that. But it was different from my dissertation because it was mostly academic stuff. But uh, that's kind of how it was born. That's where it came out of.
1: You write uh, in the book that tables are the only thing strong enough to hold every aspect of our lives. What what do you mean by that?
2: Yeah. Um, Across time and cultures, um, the table is the one one of the things that we all kind of do. You know, people gather to eat meals. It's the space where we bring um, our everyday life to it. So, um, we tell stories at the table about, like, just think about a normal dinner experience at your house. Everybody says, how was your day? What happened? You know, that sort of thing. You're in a business meeting. Um, you're, you're getting to know somebody, but you're also doing business, right? So the table holds the economy, you know, if you will. And, and that way, um, it's it's a place of peacemaking. And people, they say we had to get all these people to the table. It's both a metaphor and a reality because there was probably a table in a room. People were, were sitting around uh, and they probably had food there. You know, it's just one of those things. It's it, it holds it all. And so it holds our joys. It holds our defeats and everything in between. And we use meals to celebrate. We use meals to lament uh, and have sorrow. It's, it's the one place that that holds all of those aspects of our life Uh, so yeah that's kind of what i mean by that
1: Mm. one of the uh the real strengths of the jewish tradition seems to me is the emphasis on the home Mm -hmm. as a place of worship uh, and the weekly observance of shabbat beginning with the friday evening meal with table life are you calling readers back to the importance of such things in the practice of christian faith (laughs)
2: yes it's certainly built on that idea uh because but it's 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 built on jesus's use of the table in the new testament so he of course being um, a jewish man uh had all of that and did those things and and shared that table with his disciples and also the women who are also disciples who who are around him um but the the thing that's Jesus did differently was that his table was broad and um, while other groups regularly used table as a uh, place of identity and uh, by creating the table as a space of identity it eliminated people from being at the table, because we're telling a story here and we want to bring people to the table who are like us. So with the kosher meals and, and, and practicing Shabbat and those sort of things, it did eliminate sometimes Roman citizens or people who weren't of the same um, perspective of you within the Jewish tradition, such Pharisees, Pharisees, Essenes, and, and the like would have different tables from one another. Um, but Jesus was was very broad in his table and brought everybody to it. Further down the road, Paul and the early churches, uh, they would gather for full meals. I mean, there's a lot about table etiquette in, in Pauline letters. You know, famously, we use First Corinthians uh, for, for communion, right? You know, what I receive from the Lord, I now share to you. Every time you take this bread and take this cup, you do so in the remembrance of Jesus, right? We read that a lot from Paul. And why did he have to give those things? Right. Because before that he goes into a whole list of like how they've abused the table. Um, so here's how to do it correctly. And then you see it kind of like, in also, um, James's letter, you know, you guys are a community and yet you're treating each other, not like equals, you know, and one of the ways they were doing this was, was eating wrongly. Um, and then the metaphor of, of the, the banquet table in Isaiah 25, of course, is, is a big part of eschatological hope for, for Judaism. But it's um, you can see it play out in Revelation as well, because everything's back to the trees and the gardens um, that are in Genesis 1. And you get to eat freely of everything again. And so food, again, is, is a huge part of that. So, yeah, I, I, what I want to do is build on... The Christian tradition, we've always gathered for meals in order to tell the story of Jesus. And then part of that is telling, bearing witness to what Jesus is doing in your life. So we're going to take communion. We're going to tell the story of Jesus. But if we're sitting down around pot roast and Nebraska beef and good corn, then uh, we can also bear witness to what christ is doing in my life this week and so it's kind of this ongoing living testimony of not just what christ has done for us but what christ is doing now among us
1: we're in a a time in which we see a real uh decline in the strength of institutions including religious institutions with um increasing numbers of people claiming Uh, no community of faith yet maintaining some form of spirituality or belief but in this book you argue that for personal spiritual growth to really happen it depends upon or is most fruitful when it's practiced in a community of faith so what role does table life play in that kind of development
2: So I think table becomes an easy gateway into a larger community. Um, so again, back to my original reason for doing table life, it was to strengthen existing congregations, right? I mean, that that was my hope. And so when I did the project with Sunset Hills, we got people together um, in, into these small groups of six or eight people and they share their meals and they dwell in the word and they share their stories. And it was amazing to learn that some of these people had been going to church together for 25 and 30 years, and they didn't know things about their table mates. You know, they didn't know how they had become a Christian or when they had met their wife or maybe where they had gone to college. Maybe they knew they had a job, but they didn't know what it was or what it entailed. And so when people are telling their stories, um, even people that have known each other a really long time were learning new things about each other because they had come to church, they had come to the institution. They had sat all facing one direction, uh, the stage. Um, they had maybe gone to Sunday school together and um, – you know, we've uh, my, my coworker, Robin Stoops, the executive minister, is, is, is known for saying that Christian discipleship has often been mistaken for who knows the most about the Bible, um, not necessarily living it out the best. Right. And so uh, people go to these Sunday school class, they learn a lot about it, but they don't necessarily live the life together. So that's that's what that was for. Uh, the other direction, um, I started having meals with my neighbors and other people, um, to, to get to know them. And it's kind of been an entry point for them to then know my story about my, my faith journey. Uh, I get to hear their story and either their faith journey or or maybe their lack of one. And they're always saying, I I just don't know. I've had a hard time with this, or I've seen this in the news about the church or a a faithful church leader. And I don't know if I want to be connected to something like that. And I say that's legit, you know, but, um, people will often argue with you, either a theological point or institutional failure, um, but they probably won't argue with your personal experience with the divine. And so that creates an entry point for them to soften up and also helps you to hear their story and say, you know, I, I think I see God working in your life in this way. And so in a time when institutions aren't as healthy Um, I do still believe in community and that we need one another. I mean, this is the great Baptist experiment. Like there is autonomy of the local church. There is the priesthood of the believer, Um, but we also believe we're better together. Baptists have always believed that you can interpret Scripture on your own as a priesthood of believers, but you also bring that interpretation to the community called the church, and they say, "Yeah, that's a good interpretation," or "Nah, I think maybe you're you're missing something here." Um, and so, so that's part of that experiment, and so, and then churches are better when they're networked with other churches. So that's always been the Baptist experiment and the tension that we have of individuality and community. And I think you have to have both because you need that accountability from the larger community to really be whole. And so I, I firmly believe in the local church, we need to be part of one because if you spend a lot of time thinking about God and scriptures and things that are, um, as you said, spiritual, by yourself for too long, God tends to look like the person in the mirror and not like the community that um, that God wants us to be.
1: So the pandemic has set limits on our gathering, both as churches, but even um, gathering with friends and family for meals and celebrations. Um, can the practices that you outline in the book be adapted to the restraints of the times in which we're living?
2: Yeah, I picked the wrong time to do a small group gathering book. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: and we're coming out of it, right? We're coming. We are out coming
2: of it. out of it. You know, I, I was honestly, um, uh, I I don't think I'm telling on anybody, but uh, the book was originally scheduled to come out uh, a year ago. And, and it got delayed for these very reasons because it didn't seem like a good time to be telling people to gather together, and I and I think that's fair. Um, so I'm really excited that it's coming out now because as people are coming out, they're they're craving that community. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are ways to utilize new media platforms, social media. Facebook, Twitter, whatever platform you want. Everything comes with a risk. I always like to give that caveat because the internet is insane and uh, you never know what you're going to find there. Uh, and it could be as damaging and divisive as it is unifying and helpful, right? So always with that caveat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the basic disciplines of table life are, are, are those five things I've mentioned already, the dwelling in the word. Um, so scripture reading for the purpose of formation, it's a lectio style, um, storytelling and listening. So listening to both scripture and to the other people you're in community with, those can all be done on various platforms. You can do it here on zoom, um, safely. You can do it in, um, safe social distance formats outdoors these sort of things those principles still apply um i think the art of listening and storytelling um and just paying attention to what's going on around you are are great spiritual disciplines that can be applied to any aspect of life you know it'll make you a better at your job it'll make you better parent it'll make you i mean that this is like something that just gets pushed into your fabric of your being and it makes you more present in all of those places. Uh, so all that can be done online. I, the hardest one is, is of course, communion, um, and the meals themselves. And so, um, Finding creative ways to have meals together um, can be done on Zoom. You can all agree to make the same thing. I've seen um, some friends of mine got together one time and um, they they set a camera up at the front of their dinner table and all their other friends did the same. And they made their their dinner table identical. And they all sat in the spots they would sat if they were at the same table. And so that on the screen, it just kind of looked like they were all filling up. Uh, this table is pretty neat. And then they did the dwelling and, and the storytelling bit. And it was kind of a neat experience. And, and they had communion there. And they made the same recipe as well. So there's, there's a lot of sameness going on in this particular idea. So I think that's a fun, creative way of, of utilizing these principles. Uh, does it, Does it lack something? I don't know. Um, because uh, as we've talked about before, the online is, is a real place, right? We dwell there. We live there. And so, yes, these things can be done there. Are they done differently in person than online? Yes. Um, but I think there's value in both. And I, at this point would hesitate to say one's better than the other, because what we have is the online. We might move more towards the physical soon but the online stuff's not going away so utilizing both in a good way um, can strengthen uh, the community
1: they can be complementary to each other. yeah
2: yeah i think i think if you have to use a primary one or the other that's fine Uh, if you could do both that's great um but yeah i i think i think this does adapt to to online formats it just takes a little bit of creativity
1: What else would you like our listeners to know about the book?
2: (laughs) It's available from Judson Press, of course. Um, It is coming out at the end of the month. Uh, I was just talking to somebody this morning about that. So... um, the, the goal is that everybody will have it at the beginning of April. And so that's, that's exciting. If you get a copy, uh, you know, follow our, our social media page and tell us how you like it, go to Amazon or Judson press and write a review and give us all the stars so that more people can find it. Um, those sort of things. And then you can go to my website, table life.org. And you can learn more about the book and see, um, all the different writing projects I'm working on that are connected to table life and, and kind of get kind of that rounded out thing.
1: Well, Greg, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us today.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I look forward to continuing our partnership.
1: Able Life, an invitation to everyday discipleship. And in this together, Ministry in Times of Crisis are both available from Amazon, Judson Press, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop and print and ebook formats you can also find greg's articles at christiancitizen.us while there be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly notification of news stories as well as links to this podcast and to articles of interest from other publications and thank you for being with us today
0: Last week, The Christian Citizen published The Game Board, second-generation Chinese-American female edition, a powerful poem by Rev. Lauren Lisa Ng, Director of Leadership Empowerment at the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. She joins the podcast today to present the poem here in her own voice. You can find more of her work by following Lauren Lisa Ng on Instagram. A direct link can be found in the show notes. Here now is Rev. Lauren Lisa Ng.
3: Hi, my name is Lauren Lisa Ng, and I'm going to be reading you my poem, The Game Board, second generation Chinese American female edition. Here's how you play. Wake up in your safe suburban neighborhood, move ahead two spaces. Get dressed in your safe suburban clothes, move ahead two spaces. Mask up to head out, wave at the neighbor as you drive down the hill, code for you live there. Move ahead, one space. Walk into store and watch as they stare at your half hidden face, the mask useless. Your onyx hair and crescent eyes betray your invisibility. Move back, three spaces stand in line try to stifle it but they don't know you've suffered from allergies your whole life the cough escapes move back two spaces the cashier speaks you respond in your perfectly perfect american accented english move ahead three spaces walk back to the car notice two men talking they stop stare Track your movement. Muscles tighten, pace quickens, heart bursts. You've drawn a wild card. Climb in safely, move ahead one space. The game changes, of course, with additional players. Bring along your white husband, move ahead three spaces. Bring your half-white children, move ahead. Well, logically, 1.5 spaces go where it's safe and free from hate. Chinatown, Oakland, East Bay, oh wait. A virus arrives, move back five spaces. An incumbent falls, move ahead one. His message does not move back two. A challenger wins. Move ahead, one. But fear requires no victory. Move back, two. Vaccines arrive. Move ahead, two. The virus mutates. Move back, three. But they all love Asian food. Move ahead, two. But they still think we're dirty. Move back, three. But we work really hard. Move ahead, two. But we steal their jobs. Move back, three. But Asian girls are hot. Lose a turn and Asian girls are submissive, go back to start. This they do not realize. It is a single string that ties acceptance with disgust. Pulled so tautly, you just might break. At The Christian Citizen,
0: we're passionate about justice, mercy, and faith. We produce award-winning content that is provocative, timely, and relevant. What started 25 years ago as a print-only publication is now a digital-first multi-platform publication. We've added an award-winning weekly e-newsletter, this podcast, and a growing presence on social media. Now, for the first time, we're adding a member support program, Christian Citizen Ambassadors. Learn more about how you can support our work at christiancitizen.us slash members. Thank you to this week's guests, the Reverend Dr. Greg Mamala and the Reverend Lauren Lisa Ng. Our theme music is Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Tell. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Carcuff williams And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton-Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thanks for listening.